Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Animals by Pink Floyd. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to our show. Our goal is to educate and hopefully inspire you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. And there are a lot of great podcasts out there, so we're very honored that you're with us today. We would love to connect with you, so please give us a follow on Instagram at prognotes, prog underscore notes, or Facebook, which is at prognotes podcast. If you're coming back to the show, welcome back. And if you enjoy what you hear today, we would be very grateful if you shared the episode with a friend and subscribe so you'll be notified when we launch a new episode. Also joining us today, almost last minute, is our uh, wonderful friend of prognotes, Rachel Brown. Welcome back, Rachel. Thank you. Great to be here. It was crazy. It's like we were discussing, like, what was it, like two days ago that you emailed me, Drew? That we were like, hey, like, Rachel wants to be on the show, and we can discuss this, and we can do this. And he was just, like, outlining everything. I had thought about it. I I was like, you know, it'd be cool if she were on this, because she's the one who introduced me to Pink Floyd, and I owe a lot to her for all of that. And I was like, our Dark Side episode was great, but, like, we should totally do a Pink Floyd episode with Rachel. And I didn't mention it, just because I thought it was last minute. I figured she would be busy and everything right. and then, like we i started telling her i was like yeah we're doing prog notes on sunday it's gonna be animals and she's like well i, I want to do that and i was like oh you have time she's like yeah and i said oh okay cool let's, <laughs> let's, let's grab you on here that's my terrific impression of my older sister thanks it was, it was, it was so divine flattering. intervention yeah it was perfect <laughs> yeah it was but we're glad you're here I'm, mm-hmm. I'm super excited what you're gonna bring to the table with all of the literary because that's kind of like your expertise is is that is the literary concepts and stuff like that when we talked about tales of mystery and imagination um, but even more beyond that, when we did stuff, you know, with Sergeant Peppers, you, you have a yeah. lot of great stuff to say. So we're glad Thank you're here. You. Yeah. You're very welcome. Um, so let's go, let's jump right into this thing. Animals is the 10th studio album by the English prog rock band Pink Floyd released Jan- January 23rd, 1977 through Harvest and Columbia Records. Uh, it was recorded at the band's Britannia Row Studios in London, uh, throughout 1976, uh, Pink Floyd consists of David Gilmore contributing lead guitar, acoustic guitar, lead vocals, and bass guitar. Roger Waters with lead vocals, harmony vocals, rhythm guitar, bass guitar, tape effects, and vocoders. Richard or Rick Wright with organ, synthesizers, Rhodes, Mini Moog, piano, clavinet, and vocals. And finally, Nick Mason bringing the drums and percussion. Uh, there's one additional musician, Snowy White who uh, contributed a guitar solo on the eight-track version of Pigs on the Wing. Uh, Coming back, Storm Thorgerson is back again with the album artwork, and this record was produced by Brian Humphreys, which I think he also returned back from this. I think he also did Wish You Were Here. Uh, This album consists of just five tracks, Pigs on the Wing Part 1, which we just listened to, Dogs, Pigs, Sheep, and Pigs on the Wing Part 2. There is certainly an overarching theme and concept to this record, that we will certainly explore. But first, uh, Drew, what were some of the reviews like for this album at its release? Uh, how, how did it do? I didn't find any. Okay. Uh, was... So we're going to be moving on to the next one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a massive misrepresentation. This was, this, was a, a, this was a very successful album for Pink Floyd. Granted, most everything they did in the 70s, especially after Dark Side, was wildly popular because of Dark Side. Uh, they were already a fairly well-known psychedelic group beforehand, and we had mentioned that probably a bit <clears throat> on Dark Side. But yeah, man, anything after Dark Side, um, you know, people was were going to listen to it at that point. They, I mean, not as big as the Beatles, but you know how when a Beatles released a record, it was like, yeah, we're going to buy it. It's the Beatles. 
with Pink Floyd, whether you loved it or not, you were going to check it out and they were going to have album sales. So this was, yeah, as far as even just sales alone, which I'll get into later, it was pretty big. Um, you know, not as successful as Dark Side, which, you know, again, you mentioned on that episode was by far their biggest record, mm-hmm. but still very, very successful. Um, in 1977, when it was released, it was number three in the US charts, number two in the UK charts, number three in Sweden, number one in Spain, number two in Norway, number one in New Zealand, number one in Germany, number one in Holland, number two in <laughs> Austria, and number three in Australia. Um, nothing below a five for all of those countries. Now, granted, they're all kind of in the same. A lot of those are all in the European area, but not all of them. You've got Australia, you've got New Zealand, uh, and the U S as well. So, um, very, very successful album for them. Uh, it is, it is four times platinum in the U S it sold over 4 million copies here. Uh, it sold a hundred thousand in the UK, 60,000 in Italy, 500,000 in Germany, 400,000 in France and 200,000 in Canada. Um, Golly. Okay. Those numbers are staggering to me. No, that's ridiculous. Um, as far as actual uh, qualitative reviews of this stuff, I had found, interestingly enough, in retrospect, lots of people love this record. So when you go onto a lot of prog forums and you see people talking about this and that, the overwhelming majority is going to say this is an excellent prog record, if not, you know, an absolute must to have in your collection. Um, But when it came out, there was actually a little bit of pushback. I think this was actually a fairly acquired taste of of a record for Pink Floyd at the very least. Um, I, I just thought that was interesting. And I think I had read some of the pushback, um, on this during the time may have pertained to kind of the punk rock movement that was coinciding uh, or not Mm. coinciding, but, but happening at the same time. Um, You know, I think Johnny Rotten from the sex pistols uh, didn't care for Pink Floyd. And this may be a well-known thing. This is some first time I had heard about it, but uh, there's, there's a picture of him wearing a a Pink Floyd shirt and he writes in pen in, in some ink at the top. I hate. So it says, I hate Pink Floyd. Um, and that may have subconsciously kind of drifted into some of the reviewers who kind of gave it a a negative, a negative review, a negative image. Um, I'll read some of the stuff, um, here from, from the Rolling Stones review back in the day. Um, and I'm pretty sure this, this was again, written during the time because he references that dark side was mentioned was, sorry, was released like four years ago. Okay. So 1973 to 77, this, Yeah. Um, what did he say? I'm looking at some of this, uh, even worse, however, is the bleak defeatism that set in, in 1968, Floyd was chanting lines like, why can't we reach the sun? Why can't we throw the years away? This kind of stuff may seem silly, but at least it wasn't self-pitying. The 1977 Floyd has turned bitter and morose. They complain about the duplicity of human behavior and then their title and then title their songs after animals. Get it? They sound like they've just discovered this. Their message has become pointless and tedious. And the very ending line of this review was animals is Floyd's attempt to deal with the realization that spacing out isn't the answer either. There's no exit. You get high, you come down again. That's what Pink Floyd has done with a thud. Wow. So some pretty negative reviews. Um, I'll, I will balance that out with some of the retrospective reviews. Uh, when you go into Prague archives, the, the users 
out of the 3,694 of them, uh, the aggregate score is 4.52 out of 5. 68% of the voters gave it a 5 out of 5, a perfect score. 23 (laughs) gave it a 4 out of 5. So 91% of people think this record is great or essential to have. Right. Um, And I noticed a lot of the people on there actually liked kind of the sardonic feel of this record because (laughs) a lot of them had said on there, this album is just as relevant today as it was back in 1977, if not more so. And I had seen that kind of that, that same kind of message peppered throughout the reviews throughout a, a span of several years, right? Before right. the current, you know, political climate of at least the US and the UK today, you know, early 21st century, you know, early 2000s when, you know, this website was first getting started up to today where people are still commenting and still writing reviews. You know, the last 20 years, people are still saying this is, you know, relevant message today, which I thought was very interesting. And I, I have to agree with as well. Um, all music gave it an average score of four out of five out of 5,929 users. Um, there's an excellent review that I feel I have to, to write. When I ever come across a really well-written review, I feel it deserves mention. Uh, so this was written by Stephen Thomas Erlewine. I don't know. I think he's okay. English. I don't know. We'll how roll to... with it. <laughs> That's that last name. Um, Of all the classic era Pink Floyd albums, Animals is the strangest and darkest, a record that's hard to initially embrace, yet winds up yielding as many rewards as its equally nihilistic successor, The Wall. Um, It isn't that Roger Waters dismisses the human race as either pigs, dogs, or sheep. It's that he's constructed an album whose music is as bleak and bitter as that worldview. Arriving after the the warm-spirited, albeit melancholy, Wish You Were Here, The shift in tone comes as a bit of a surprise, and there are even less proper songs here than on either Wish or Dark Side. Animals Mm. is all extended pieces, yet it never drifts. It slowly, ominously works its way towards its destination. For an album that so clearly is Waters, Gilmore's guitar dominates dominates thoroughly with Richard Wright's keyboards, rarely rising above a mood-setting background. This gives the music on occasion immediacy and actually heightens the dark mood by giving a giving it muscle. It also makes animals as accessible as it possibly could be since it surges with bold blues rock guitar lines and hypnotic space rock textures. Through it all though, the utter blackness of water spirit holds true. And since there are no vocal hooks or melodies, everything rests on the mood, the near nihilistic lyrics and Gilmore's guitar. These are the kinds of things that satisfy cultists and it will reward their attention. There's just no way in for casual listeners. Um, that's something that I also think merits a bit of consideration. I think Prague is kind of difficult in, in general to get <laughs> someone who views music as very casual in a sense to, to get hooked on because it, it is kind yeah. of an investment, right? Yeah, in a way, requires an investment. Uh, but but this record, I think so, especially it, it this is not a casual album. Um, it really does focus on the mood and the message, which is again, dark, cynical and sardonic, which is not necessarily in very accessible for a lot of people. So right. I guess one thing to keep in mind though, is that it is a pink Floyd record. So if you like dark side and you like wish you were here and you like metal, you'll probably find something to appreciate in this record. Yeah. This record has a lot to offer. And I'm saying this as again, an avid fan of this record. This is probably has to be my second favorite after dark side. 
Um, I would agree that I would agree with that too. It's probably my second favorite. So I say all of this with, again, knowing going into this that I think all three of us are very biased because this is one of our favorite Pink Floyd records, and Pink Floyd is one of our favorite bands. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm biased. Go ahead put, that, <laughs> put that out there, I guess. Putting this out there, disclaimer: this is going to be a biased record. We all love this uh, episode. We all love this record. So yeah. Um, there's a lot more I could say. Actually, these are very interesting reviews, and I actually got a lot of history out of some of the reviews. Uh, but I have talked for a long time. So oh, that was great. I will, I will, I will spare really everyone. Great. If anyone wants uh, some of the other reviews that I, I happen to find, uh, email us, let us know, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you some of those reviews because they were fantastic. I, I liked a lot of this stuff. So, If, if I may add... Uh, mm-hmm. Something that would something that came to my mind when you were talking about like the album sales that it was like five hundred thousand in the U.S. and two hundred thousand in Canada and what would mm-hmm. you say like over a million somewhere else like oh in the U.S. it was four the million. U.S. was four million like yeah think and you got to think in nineteen seventy seven too the effort that it took or that it takes to go buy a record like it wasn't just go on my computer and click on the buy right. button on iTunes uh, like yeah. you had to go get it so the amount of people that literally had like. <laughs> took the effort to go buy it um it's it's a lot it means a whole lot more than i think it does i think i think four million in sales in 1977 in america is way better than well i don't know if it was was four million in that year alone or if that's how much it has accumulated since that time so that's something to keep in mind as well i don't think that those were the sales now the 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 charts that was during that year right right ranking of it the actual record sales who knows that that may be from 1977 all the way up to today right okay i got you yeah i don't know when the last time where i read that was was updated but i got you okay so the you uh this the the introduction like well the concept of this, I, I kind of, I mentioned before that there's more of an overarching theme and concept. Drew, you sort of touched on that, talking about um, either the, the political climate at the time, as well as comparing people to dogs, pigs, and sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Rachel, and this is where I'd like for you to talk into this as well. What is the, um, uh, and I'll just kind of let you take on the introduction of, of what Animal Farm is and possibly how animal farm compares to animals but could you just start with uh telling us what animal farm is absolutely yeah um so animal farm was a novella written by george orwell um and published in 1945 um i believe it yeah it was published in august of 1945 um it's incredibly short. So for anyone who's curious and you've never read it, a lot of people read it in high school. I did not, um, but it, it was very much, you know, adopted for high school curriculum uh, for many people. But I mean, it's 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 less than 130 pages. It's very short. Um, and um, George Orwell is also very well known for his book, um, 1984, um, which both yeah. of these are dystopian novels. Um, mm-hmm. So the premise of Animal Farm is a society of animals on this farm that end up um the very beginning they revolt against the farmer who is no longer taking care of them and is 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 a drunk and they end up taking over the farm and running it themselves and they establish a list of rules um to make sure that everyone is is equal um they want to kind of have this um ideal society of the the animals just working for themselves doing what they need not necessarily having um you know any 
contact with other farms or anything like that, just kind of working the land themselves, doing what they want to do, having their own society um, and supporting each other, you know, in, in that way. Um, but it quickly becomes obvious that the pigs are the most intelligent of the animals, which I always found very interesting. I have never thought that pigs were especially intelligent farm right. animals. I, I don't know why pigs were picked as the intelligent animal by Orwell. Um, I mean, it also I there's also they are. I just, I did not know. I mean, I know I that there are certain that are picked are... like for truffle, like certain that will like snout out like truffles and will you know kind of right. like dogs in a way that can have that kind of tracking ability. Um, right. And apparently, from what I've heard they are actually fairly clean animals despite you know everybody's association with mud and filth and all that apparently pigs are fairly clean animals um dolphins are smart yeah why, why didn't you pick dolphins why did we not <laughs> an undersea novel yeah no um, I, I i think that i have heard in passing that that pigs are actually fairly intelligent animals yeah yeah uh, so i'm actually looking it up real quick right now just briefly and yeah just yeah. from a, a very quick quick uh brief Google search, it's they're, they're believed to be one of the most intelligent. Right. That's interesting. Right. Very, yeah. And, I anyway, guess sorry, since, keep we, going. since we associate pigs with messiness, you know? Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I guess we also, at least in my mind, I associate messiness with unintelligence, which I know is not true um, at all. You know, the whole messy genius, Albert Einstein kind of thing. But um, anyway, <laughs> right. um, so basically the pigs are the ones that can read, basically. And so they set, you know... Um, and they gradually end up changing the rules. Um, they gradually end up taking over the farm um, and modifying things little by little to where the animals really, they're basically being brainwashed and not understanding what's changing or being told that what is changing or what they thought happened before didn't really happen. Uh, so a lot of propaganda by the pigs. Um, gotcha. So, um, you know, there are several different um, rules that they set up to rule Animal Farm, and I'll read those for you. There's seven original commandments. One is whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy, so basically humans. Right. Two, whatever goes <laughs> upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes because they don't want to be anything like the humans, right? Right, um, yeah, they're revolting against yeah. them. Four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And seven, all animals are equal. And all the things they hate against the farmer. Right, right. And everything to establish that we are all living in a society where we are all the same, right? We're all helping each right. other. And right. gradually, as the pigs start to, um, you know, mix like milk into like they didn't they want don't want to take oh, the milk man. from the cows right um because mm -hmm. that's theirs unlike the farmer which would take milk from cows but gradually they start mi mixing like milk into their mash and it's like oh because the pigs need this more because they're the intelligent beings and they're the ones that are helping lead us and, and all of that right there's always a reason for why they do what they're doing um right that brainwashes the animals and gradually. So they write all of these rules on the side of a barn and it's just so eerie. Like every chapter ends with another rule being changed when the animals get up the next morning. Um, <laughs> and it's, or something to only ever so slightly edited the way that they are um, phrased so that they're very confused about, Oh, it wasn't always this way, you know? Right. Um, right. So for um, 
gets changed to no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets because at some point right. the, the pigs move out of the barn into the house where the farmer was and they start sleeping in the bed and the animals are very confused about why are they sleeping in these beds. Right. Um, right. right. And then they justify it with, with sheets and then they start drinking alcohol and they change the rule to no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. Right. Um, right, right and right. then it becomes no animal shall kill another animal without cause. Um, because an animal, another right. animal is killed by, you know, or commanded to be killed by the pigs at one point. So, um, it, it's very chilling, um, this, the story. Um, and at the, the very end of the story, um, the, the pigs start to do business with farmers from other farms, humans, they start to do business with humans. And, um, at the very end, uh, leading up to, the, the ending scene there there's a, a character in the book um one of the the workhorses boxer who's kind of like the the ignorant uh, I, I wouldn't say he's the hero obviously but he's one of the very central farm animal creatures that you, he's, you see him he's the one that you identify with the most with i think he's the most sympathetic because I was about to say, he's, he's innocent right yeah he's, he's the most innocent and he is ignorant he can't read but all he he <laughs> believes fully in the pigs which of the the leader of the pigs is napoleon um, he believes fully that every whatever Napoleon says is right. Um, and in the end, you know, he's been breaking his back to do all this work on the farm more than any of the other animals have for the cause and for animalism, right? Um, and he he breaks his leg, um, and the pigs um, have him picked up and taken across, you know, from the farm, and he's being taken to a glue factory. Um, to be killed. But of course they tell all the animals that they are, um, you know, they took him to, they were taking him to a hospital, but then he died. Right. So, um, the very, so that happens almost, you know, that kind of as a climax to the book, um, when this very sympathetic, sympathetic character dies. And then the very end, they're doing business with the, um, the other farmers, they're drinking and all this stuff. And, and all the pigs are in the farmer's house talking to all the, the humans and all the animals outside are looking in on the the pigs. And this, the line is that they can't, they can no longer tell the difference between the pigs and the humans. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how the mm. story ends. And it's incredibly um, chilling. And it holds a lot of like what you were saying, Drew, about how animals is the, the um, album is very, applicable today um i still think that this work published in 1945 which was written as a political satire um about the events of the um the um stalinism yeah well stalinism the russian revolution of 1917 and it was 1917 i just didn't know all of that phrasing um yeah so it is um orwell was a democratic socialist um, which is that you believe in socialism um, and, and in equality, um, but in a democratic way, uh, not necessarily communism, right? Um, but right. he was very much, you know, making a lot of statements about not only communism, but also dictatorship. Um, and so that is the, you know, the Soviet Union had become a brutal dictation, dictatorship. Um, and a lot of it was all based on the fact that they were feeding the people a lot of propaganda. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's what this book was about. Um, but when it was published, 
um, he had a hard time getting this published because we, at the time, Western society were allies with Russia to defeat the Nazis. Um, so it was almost like a piece, right. you know, a piece of um, satire on people who were at the time an ally of the Western, you know, of Western civilization, uh, of Britain and of the United States. So I was about to ask, was, is Orwell British? He's British, yes. He's Br okay, so it was very hard, and this takes place in England, um, but it was very hard for him to get this published because um, Russia were our, the allies at the time of Britain. Um, but then, you know, especially then with the Cold War and Russia becoming kind of an, an enemy for quite some time, for another couple decades afterward, um, this what became a little bit more popular, um, especially because the Red Scare and all of that coming about in the 50s, this kind mm. of was talking about that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to uncover in this book and even though it's so short which i think in some ways makes the point that it doesn't have to be long to get to get a big point across yeah um so so the whole book is centered around sort of the pig's decisions and how people react to that is that is that maybe a, a good way to yes and just about the, way, the ways in which they are able to completely brainwash the community and um how this concept of an ideal society um, is completely overthrown by the desires of one, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. So they're just, yeah, the pigs run the farm. They abuse their power. Um, mm -hmm. And so for the dogs, like, aren't they being used as sort of like secret police yes. to keep yes. people and other animals in line? Yes, the, the dogs have, um, at the very beginning of the book, the dogs have puppies, and the puppies are pulled away from the dogs and they're raised by the pigs. So to enforce what the pigs are trying to do um to keep everybody in line yeah and then so you know and then i guess if we want to talk about sheep as well the sheep are cast as there's not a central character like with a name that's a sheep right. i believe um but they are kind of a general rabble if you will um mm -hmm. that constantly mimic the phrase um four legs good two legs bad over yep. and over and over again and they get taught to do that um to reinforcing that brainwashed like clockwork orange yeah jeez oh, oh my gosh um, but yeah so the pigs are definitely the domineering you know animals on the farm and then you have the, the dogs that really don't have um, any characters as well um, it's interesting that you know Pink Floyd picked these three animals um, from Animal Farm and obviously the, the uh, album was not completely written to be um, Animal Farm. There's just a lot of echoes of it. Um, it's not a complete retelling, but um, sheep and dogs are not hugely central to the plot of the book. Um, you have, you know, Boxer and some of the other horses that actually have characters um, yeah. and, and names. A lot of the other animals on the farm have names and voices, whereas these, the dogs and the sheep don't really. Um, uh, right. Other than that, um, makes sense though. Yeah, from the narrative perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it definitely has a lot of strong ties, as you can see. You know, even just an outlining of Animal Farm and what Orwell was trying to do with yeah. the writing of that, um, to what Pink Floyd was trying to do with animals. Yeah. So it's like 
I'm going to see if I can sum this up in like two sentences. Pigs are dictators. Yes. Scared of the unknown. But maybe they want to decide what's best for all. Uh, dogs, cutthroat, corporate, I, I don't know, stooges who will do anything of means necessary to climb on the top. And the pigs use the dogs to keep the meek and the subservient masses of sheep mm-hmm. in line. Yeah. Yeah, that's Boom. a good transition. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I think, I think again, it's um, important to <clears throat> to note that, like Rachel said, it's not it's not a retelling of Animal yeah, Farm. Yeah, right. Uh, not there's a, a lot of differences. There, there are a lot of similarities, uh, why it's inspired by by it and everything. But um, right, I, I, what I've read is that, yeah, it, it's critical of the Russian Revolution and even the evolution um, to Stalinism as well. That's what I've heard as well. I mean, you know, Stalin gained powers and, and, and really... <laughs> Did some horrible stuff, particularly in the 30s, the 1930s, right. and everything. So, oh yeah, and uh, there that's are... when the great purges happened. That's when the collectivization of agriculture happened. That's when you know his paranoia set in, uh, and well, really set in. I mean, it's always paranoid, but um, it's also interesting to know. Fun history fact: um, Stalin was not Russian; he was Georgian. It's just for everyone to know. Um, oh, thanks, Drew. But, oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but this is the guy with the minor in Russian. So, um, but. Um, <laughs> This this was supposed to be actually for Waters, less so a a criticism of communism or Stalinism, right. more so of capitalism of the society he was living in in England, right? right? And mm-hmm. I think he was trying to point out, look, this whole Western democracy, we're great, rah rah rah, is not all it's cracked up to be. I want everyone to know how screwed up it can be in a quote unquote free society. And that there are a lot of parallels to that, right? Again, very negative uh, album, uh, very cynical. Um, But yeah, he wanted to show, hey, you know, that the politicians we have at the top are not necessarily that much better than Stalin or Lenin or, you know, all these dictators and authoritarian modes of government. Because the communists were, um, or, oh man, I just lost my thought crap um but <laughs> the um oh i, w- I was going to say that the the link there is that the, the animals in animal farm also believe that they are living or what they set out to do is be living in a free society right. they want to overthrow what they believe to be a dictator in the, the human that's in charge of the farm um and then they end up becoming i mean you know the, the whole point of at the end of the book where they can't tell the difference between the pigs and the and the humans and doing business with the people that they wanted to overthrow it's like you know, everything went back to the way it was. And it's almost right. even worse now right. that yeah. the pigs are in charge of our farm. It, it would have been better possibly with the the farmer that forgets to feed us, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, you can tell Waters is very anti-government to begin yes. with. Oh, um, I, mean, I, I don't even know now. if I would... Exactly. I don't know if I would put the label anarchist on there or anything. I don't think that's it. Um, he wants freedom and everything too, but he's very anti-government. Um, in, you know... I think in a lot of different ways, not just, you know, because he was obviously inspired by Animal Farm, must have taken some inspiration from what Orwell was trying to say about against communism or Stalinism, at least those, you know, and Leninism and all of that, but also, you know, critical of capitalism and, and all of that too. So when, when I saw him perform The Wall back in 2012, there's a part in Mother 
where he says, mother, should I trust the government? Right. Right. And yeah. That's yeah. Song. Well, at the concert, he had on the screen in big red spray painted letters, no effing way. And he wanted the crowd to, to say that. Right. And the whole crowd was like, no effing way. You know, should I trust the government? And, all that kind of stuff. So, Didn't you know, Rick Floyd do that too, Drew, when they played Mother? Um, the they they know. on the I think it was on the uh, the PowerPoint or the, you know like the the part yeah, of the, the big show, screen, the projector, the big yeah. screen, yeah, that they were doing much more than a PowerPoint. <laughs> um, I think it said "Hell no!" like as just a response, you know, like right, a, nobody right. mimicked it because we were all listening. Uh, that was more of a like sit and listen kind of performance, but right. I remember that vividly. Mm -hmm. So maybe well, it's a natural response at any time that song is performed, you know? Right, right. Um, Interesting. And he may have done that back in the day during the actual Animal sure. Tour. Probably uh, Well, sorry, did. the wall, rather, because yeah. that was on the wall. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Quite interesting. Justin, I, I think you made a, a good point there about the three different classes uh, that he kind of points out there in, in the record, the dogs, pigs, and sheep. I find, it, I find it interesting that, and, and I know it's not a direct translation, but I find it interesting that Dogs is the first song on the record. Right. Like I, I don't know right. if I, if I were if I were putting this thing together, the the track list would be pigs, dogs, sheep. Right, right, right. But yeah, he does dogs, pigs, sheep. I, I find that interesting. I don't know why. I mean, I know it's not a direct translation, so who cares? But I just find that to be interesting from the from the narrative's perspective. But I guess all of them are. I don't know. Is there is there much? Cro no, there's not a whole. Well, there is. Yeah, there's crossover of the ideas throughout the other songs. It's not like we're only talking about the dogs in dogs. I think they also sort of like references of the dogs come up in sheep. Is that right? They yes. Do. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah, I thought. They do. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, and again, it's because with this record, it's not like there's really a narrative, you know? Um, right. No, which, you know, which is why I, I agree with you, Dustin. I it's feel commentary. Like conceptually, it would make sense because it's not really a narrative per se. It's not really a full-on storyline or thread to follow. But I would agree with you. It's like, okay, I would maybe start with the top down. Right. Or from the bottom up, right? right. In yep. some type of order, right? Yep. Because it seems like in the hierarchy, you would have the pigs on top who are actually pulling the strings, the dogs who are enforcing their commands, and then the people who have to follow them. Yeah. But It's interesting. So. I, I don't know, but I think... And so in that way, I would think you would start kind of bottom up, like here's where, you know, but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just now thinking about this because I've never actually thought about the listing over the, the mm -hmm. you know, the position yeah, the of, of the, the, the yeah. tracks. But I think in some ways, dogs is the most accessible because if they're cast as this corporate brown noser, basically, um, that also has a lot of pig tendencies themselves wanting to be better wanting to be the one that's going to stab you in the back um that kind of thing but also always looking over their shoulder it kind of is interesting to start with someone in the middle that everyone can kind of relate to um because sometimes that you know that person that's even above them is a little bit more of a, a concept for people like for me, like working in working at, at the Disney store, you know, like as, as an assistant manager, kind of like low on the rung, you know, I, I never talked to the president of our company ever. Right. He's so he's such an idea to me more than just a more than a person. But I could definitely I definitely know people who are a couple levels above me that they're that in between that. Yeah, they're trying to do stuff for their career. They're trying to do things for them, you know, mm -hmm. which involves 
you know, kissing up to the people above them, but possibly, you know, um, not treating the people underneath them right. And that is not to say that about the people I work with. Oh my gosh, you know, but I'm just saying like that <laughs> that idea of working yeah. with big corporate society, that chain is is there. So not everybody is a like a mindless sheep, but not everybody is this huge um bigwig that has all the power and it's abusing it. Um yeah, so I would I, I would think, disagree trying to categorize every single human being in these things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's no, but it's not. Yeah. So but saying that but I guess starting with a very long piece dedicated to kind of the most middle class, if you will, the most accessible band there mm. might make sense, actually, just yeah, thinking about right. it. Yeah, and I don't think of dogs when I think of people in that kind of category. I think more of like the rat race. Like a lot of people are in yep. what, you know, we, we call the rat race, right? But that 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 term, again, is, could almost be synonymous with dogs in a way. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I, I see what Jones you're saying. Are. Right. But uh, it's interesting to note that dogs and sheep were actually composed, for, by and large, before um, they even started recording or even had this concept. Originally, right. dogs was titled "You Got to Be Crazy," and it was a, a Gilmore composition. Yeah. Um, and then I think Waters decided to add some ending finishes to that song and turn it into "Dogs." And and sheep was originally titled "Raving and Drooling," um, and this was way back, I think, around the time of "Wish You Were Here." Um, and for whatever reason, they decided to save it and kind of vault it for another time or shelve it for another time. And they, they made animals and that's when Waters was like, Hey, I think this would be good to have on here. I want to tweak a couple things and kind of, you know, mold it into the concept that I have for animals and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but <laughs> there's so an interesting, pigs. sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was going to, I was going to bring up the, the three different ones. Mm -hmm. in in pigs uh because we uh kind of moving out of the um the conceptual aspect or, or not even the conceptual but how animal farm compares to animals uh now just now just focusing on focusing animals on the, on the record yeah yeah just focusing on animals and what and what rogers decided to um a label or or because there there are real references uh, real characters that are that are a part of the record, at least at least in uh, at least in pigs. I don't know if there's any other references that are mentioned in uh, dogs or sheep. Um, but uh, and I'll, I'll share this since I have it up right here. Uh, three pigs, because I mean, yeah, pigs. Three different ones. What three different what three different ones? Who are those? Two of those represent real characters. Uh, the first is the the corporate pig, um, and then the second is uh margaret thatcher, thatcher. thatcher. oh and the I, third... I have shoot <laughs> i have to tell you i was thinking the exact same thing every time i think of it president lip gloss so the second's margaret thatcher and then the third is uh, Mary Whitehouse, which is the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys know this, but the leader of the National Viewers and Listeners Association, mm -hmm. yeah, who uh, yes. spoke of moral pollution through yes. an intense censorship campaign. Yes. Um, so, and I found a quote, you probably, you guys probably found this as well from, Ro from Roger Waters, which he says, why does she make a such a fuss about everything if she isn't yes. motivated by fear? She's frightened that we're all being perverted. I was incensed 
by Mary Whitehouse as I am by all book burners and Bible bashers, people who foster that sexual guilt and shame, who try and deny people of op- any opportunity to fulfill their sexual destiny. I don't, I don't necessarily know what that means, but if you guys can break that down for me, that would be awesome. Well, I, I think, again, Waters is just very free and very uh, liberal in a sense of, uh, well, I mean, you know, no one likes any type of censorship and especially artists, right? And he's very much an artist and he's very much a conceptualist and very expressive in a lot of ways. And anyone trying to infringe upon that is obviously going to be met with some consternation from him. So nice words. that's I definitely like that. what, what that was, uh, you know, uh, she was very much, Hey, let's not very anti-sex mm-hmm. of any sense mm-hmm. and especially being put out into the public. Um, and she was, yeah, kind of this morality police, um, you know, and you know, I understand why that can totally, totally rub anyone the wrong way, but particularly an artist who's very expressive and wants to be able to say, whatever they want to say. And so someone kind of being the censor police or the morality police, you know, <laughs> it's interesting that he directly references her in the song. Yeah. Um, right. But it's, it's yeah. so funny when I first listened to this record, I assumed obviously when you think of white house, you think of the U S white house, we're the number one superpower in the world. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. And so I, I assumed that he was making a criticism of that. And, uh, well, I read a, another thing that he was, he, he had said about this, uh, Tried to censor. He says, um, "I'm trying to read here. Sorry. Keep uh, who tried to censor English television to keep sex off of it. Who's called Mary Whitehouse? And this is this is him actually talking. Okay, so, which was convenient because it means I can say, hey, White House, and a lot of people think I'm singing about the White House in Washington D.C. And I am now because nobody cares about Mary Whitehouse anymore. Right. She did try to clean up British television uh, by making it sort of evangelical Christian friendly in ways that are unhealthy in my view. So uh, it's, I think it's funny is now that he performs the stuff, he's like, yeah, it's actually very convenient that her last name coincides with, you know, is shared by, you know, the U.S. White House. And I'm criticizing them now. And uh, yeah. anyways, I, I just find that very interesting. So which, which is said in the song. uh it, obviously it is you know hey you uh white house hey you what yeah. was it what was the other one um you town uh, proud house house mouse proud town like mouse house, house proud, proud yeah. town mouse, town mouse. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah whatever and then haha charade you are what does charade mean charade will be charade. charade yeah Right. So, I mean, we pronounce it charade, but yeah, the, right, the right. What's so, a charade? Well, and that, that's what's so funny is that you think, Drew. You know, you mentioned that you think of the White House, like a fit, like an actual specific White House. Yeah, the building. When, right. when I first listened to this album, and still to this day, I think of it very metaphorically, um, because this whole song is talking about how all these people are actually charades. Um, everyone is, you know perverted inside everyone is you know um abusing other people to stay on top you know and and that it's all it's all an illusion um and so no one is real and um I always took White House to be literally a White House but not necessarily a the White House right I because I'm thinking if he's talking about a a charade I just think of this White House this idea of right. this beautiful 
purity on the front and right. then I can just, it feels like it's like rotting on the inside. And so that's when right. he's singing about White House, I'm literally thinking about just a White House that is like black on the inside. Um, right. Interesting. Be- because of the other lyrics in the song. Right. Because white is generally associated with purity. Purity. Yep. 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 And it's all, and it's all a facade. It's all on the front. So everything inside the house is rotting and disgusting and tainted. Right. Right. No, that's interesting that that, that's what you thought. I I always thought of the the U.S. White House. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I I just don't take it all in a political context. I, everything becomes much more personal to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I I mean, if we're, if we're going to take it from that, I mean, the context of this entire thing, if it's, if it is stood the test of time, then I mean, political, whatever has changed but human nature is is still the same right you know what i mean so maybe i mean i i would i would contend that the record is could be a criticism just towards human nature like take the political part out of it like it's just it's human nature right and that's and that's what i read in animal farm as well i know exactly that it's definitely a political satire i mean that's what it's, it's supposed a, to be but yeah, i right. take it further to a personal level saying yep. whether you're talking about anti-communism or anti-capitalism or anything it's all like run that, by people yeah we're, we're also talking about what generates that on mm-hmm. a deeper level yeah right it's a very hobbesian view that humans are nasty british and short um but (laughs) i i i think it's interesting you can apply it to politics but also to human nature but again those aren't mutually exclusive part of politics includes a lot of people so i mean mean, it is people i mean duh i mean you know so it's it's anyways um but uh let's talk about the sheep for a bit yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to that. I think Shoot. we've we've talked about the dogs and we've talked about pigs and how they're related to Animal Farm, but uh, the sheep. Uh, you know, let's let's reference back to the book again, just as a reminder. Uh, Rachel, if you can, if you could tell us again who who the sheep are in Animal Farm, what what's their purpose? So the sheep are kind of like the mindless rabble that are easily influenced by propaganda, that are easily swayed manipulated. and manipulated. Yeah, great. Right. Um. But the interesting thing about animals, you know, or animal farm versus animals, is that in animal farm, obviously, at the very end, you see that the pigs succeed, you know, um, in taking mm. over the farm. Um, at the end of animals, the um, they say, or, you know, at the end of sheep, they say the dogs are dead. Um, right. But it's also interesting because I've got the lyrics pulled up right here. It says... Have you heard the news? The dogs are dead. So that would be a good thing, right? You would think that means, yay, freedom. You can do what you want. You're not being hurt or badgered by, you know, the the corporate, you know, um, above you. But Mm -hmm. then the rest of the lyric says, you better stay home and do as you're told. Get out of the road if you want to grow old. Mm -hmm. So there's still a threat, even if the dogs aren't there. I hate ads in the middle of my shows or podcasts, and you're probably not a huge fan either. So we'll keep this short. The good news is that we're not here to sell you the newest strings for your guitar or the coolest new metronome or anything like that. No, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. No, we're just here to tell you that we have a Patreon, and you can get some really fun perks if you join. You'll be supporting the show, which helps me and Destiny create more quality content for our amazing listeners. Like you. Like you. So if that sounds good, patreon.com slash prognotes. Yeah, go there. End of ad. Back to the episode. So in some ways, you'd think that this 
that animals would end on a more hopeful note than Animal Farm does, the way they kind of twist it to where the sheep can kind of rise up. But I don't even necessarily think the sheep rise up and kill the dogs. I think the dogs are dead. It doesn't really say anything about them, like, killing them. It's just like, okay, the dogs are no longer here, but there still could be a threat because it doesn't it doesn't imply that they got smarter and, and took a, you know, and yeah. started their own uprising or something. It's more it, of a commentary on if the dogs leave rather than the sheep rising up and right, attacking right, the dogs. Right, absolutely. So it's almost like regardless of whether the dogs are here or not, the sheep are still vulnerable. Um, yeah. The, the, the mass amount, the mass of people are still susceptible possibly to dogma from pigs and, you know, propaganda and being, brainwashed wow i i have to disagree i think it, it, and i read this and maybe it's just sometimes you easily believe what you read uh don't we all um but <laughs> i had read and i kind of like this view that they they do become the new threats they and, and i'll tell you why it's because the preceding lines here bleeding and babbling we fell on his neck with a scream wave upon wave of demented avengers marched cheerfully out of obscurity into the dream hmm Riding that high, I don't think goes away. I don't think goes away when you're being violent. And you're, have you heard the news? The dogs are dead. I, I mean, you, you could make a case for either one. I think you have a very strong case too. Um, but if they're marching cheerfully out of obscurity into the dream, uh, they're starting their own utopia or or taking their own power. And it's so easy to abuse that power. Even when you start out on the bottom and being an idealist oh i would never do that i would right. never do it this way i would never do it this way and you fall into that pattern of human nature where power can corrupt it inherently has a feature of corruption to it not that everyone you know is uh submits to it but there is a there is a power of corruption or a corruption that is naturally tied to having a position of power and once you're able to not submit really to 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 the immediate threat, it's easy to see yourself in a position of power. Absolutely. It's easy to abuse that power. So to me, I take it as the dogs are dead. You better stay home and do as you're told. Get out of the road if you want to grow old. They kind of turn against, you know, the people they used to be against the people who they used to grow up with. And, you know, they, they turn against their class. Right. Or or not, maybe not even their class, but another class that they, they look to who can they There oppress. you go. And I, I actually, now I'm reading a little bit more of the, the lyrics beforehand. And I, I knew these, but the, the part that's probably coming up pretty soon as well here where they take the Psalm 23 and they yeah. change the words. Um, yeah. That it's very hard. Like you can hear the first bits of it you know, but yes. very hard to hear over the, yeah, music. that vocoder is uh, a little yeah, weird. It, it gets, it gets hard to hear. And so, um, you really do like whenever I listen to Pink Floyd, I mean, not now because I've done it so much, but when I was first getting into Pink Floyd and, and loving it, um, I specifically would sit down when I had some time end to end and read the lyrics as I listened to the music so that I wasn't missing anything because there's so much underneath. Um, and, um, you know, it says, um, when cometh the day we lowly ones through quiet reflection and great dedication, master of the art of karate, lo, we shall rise up and then we'll make the buggers eyes water. So yeah, yeah you're right, Drew. I, you know, I think that, yeah, possibly the, the sheep do rise up, but they're, again, they're, that doesn't mean all things are great anymore. It means 
there's yep. still somebody who needs to now fear them. They become right. the new dogs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what Water said. I have a quote from what Roder- Water said about sheep. He said, uh, sheep was my sense of what was to come down in England. And it did last summer with the riots in England and Brixton and Toxic. And it will happen again. It will always happen. There are too many of us in the world and we treat each other badly. We get obsessed with things and there aren't enough of things, products to go around. If we're persuaded it's important to have them, that we're nothing without them, and that there aren't enough of them to go around, the people without them are going to get angry. Wow, COVID season, right? Content and discontent mm-hmm. follow very closely the rise and the fall of the graph or on the graph of world recession and expansion. Yeah. Right. And so that's, yeah. and which, I mean, just reading that right now, you're thinking about like, you know, the freaking toilet paper frenzy that was, uh-huh. that happened for, I don't know. I don't know how long, what about two weeks or something like that? I don't know. I don't know how long that it lasted. Was several weeks. I, several I had weeks. difficulty. I oh, had yeah. difficulty getting it here. I had difficulty going more, to the bathroom. I, 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 just, I had difficulty it. going to the bathroom. Shoot. Using that one ply, one square. <laughs> I, it's just, oh no, we're getting there. Can you spare a square. Can you just spare one square? I love how she like turns her feet like in the other stall uh, away from her. It's like the hashtag for this year. Can you spare a square? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No Unreal. squares to spare. No squares. I don't have a square to spare. Seinfeld references. That's amazing. That's really cool. Anyway, but yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is kind of an ironic album because Waters was the one who kind of took the reins on this. And yeah. I I think uh, a lot of the other band members would say kind of unfairly and kind of in a totalitarian way, in an authoritarian way, which is ironic because that's who he's calling out in this record. So yeah. I, I think this was and I think this is just an interesting if, if you're interested in Pink Floyd history. To me, this this reminds me of like the White Album with the Beatles, and in fact, I think oh, the Wall yes. may have even been more so. Uh, but tensions were high between a lot of the group at this point, and mm-hmm. you can tell when listening to the rest of this record that it's a very Waters record, not just from a conceptual standpoint, because he had always kind of been the conceptualist. He had always kind of had the story and the narrative and orchestrated that mainly. I mean, Dark Side yeah. was kind of his idea. This was his idea. The Wall was his idea. These Wish big... you were here, definitely wish you were here was his idea these were all big ideas and they were by and large conceived by by waters Mm -hmm. but um he had always been the conceptualist but at this point you're you're not even really hearing gilmore that much even on vocals um he's in dogs for the majority for the beginning yeah from the end of dogs which Waters sings on to the end of the record it's all waters Right, and you've got Nick Mason. Fun fact: who actually yep. says that cheap line, by the way, uh, the, the, where they're chanting, the, you know, the distorted version of Psalms 23. Um, but by and large, it's it's Waters with the lyrics, it's Waters with the vocals for the majority of the record. Again, besides the beginning of Dog, which is excellent, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. And this whole record, we haven't even really gotten into what we love about this record, which I'm sure we'll talk we will. About in a we'll, second. we'll have time. Yeah, yeah, because this is just a phenomenal album. But it's upsetting to me. I always hate hearing these stories from records that I love that the band was just hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it like really close reminds to the edge. me of, of Lennon and McCartney um, with the Beatles. I mean, they, both of the duos, Lennon McCartney as well as Gilmore and Waters, were phenomenal. They were a phenomenal force to be reckoned with. 
And it's just really sad when I hear this that, you know, Gilmore was feeling kind of ostracized and felt very, I wouldn't say intimidated, but Waters was alienating himself from the group and also trying to narcissistically take over. Power. Well, and, and who knows what the internal politics with the band were. It could have been that he just felt that the rest of the group wasn't contributing as much because like you mentioned earlier, Gilmore had a child. Yeah. Maybe it was one of those things where said, you know, Waters said, that's great for you, but look, this band is important to me. I have these big ideas. And if you're not willing to contribute, I'm going to kind of take the reins here and I'm going to do more with this. Who knows? I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm in that situation. But uh, I do know that Gilmore and Wright were both very unsatisfied with the band. And I think in Wright left due to, um, in large part, due to Waters. Yeah. Just how he was behaving. And I, I read somewhere that he never really socialized with the group during uh, during gigs, during performances and, and concerts. He showed up, played his set, and took off. He if was I, not if I, really. If I'm know, imagining, if I'm imagining like what, what like Waters would be like kind of his personality i would just i would imagine him being a very very introverted intuitive logical conceptual guy who just wanted to have his opinion heard and asserted which can make That's, this kind of a person very hard to work with very, very hard yeah. to access because, and because it's hard to communicate yeah understand yep. exactly you know what they are really wanting because i i think people like that there, there's this dichotomy of yes, you want to feel that everyone else is 100% in it just like you are but yep. you also yep. do if you've got the idea, you want it to be shaped the way you want so it's like you want participation right. from all the other group members to know that they are completely dedicated to the project just like you are, but at the same time there is this kind, this probably this push and pull of, but I want to make sure that my ideas are what come through because I had the initial idea, yeah. you know, so um, yeah there wasn't it's, a whole lot of a collaborative writing, it seemed there, like. It really was just like Waters had the idea, everybody come in and do it, and if you didn't like right. it, well, Rick Wright, you're out of here. Go ahead and leave. You know? And it's that's that's kind of how I imagine and even with I mean, how assertive how assertive he is, um, even with the, at the live shows and like and mm -hmm. obviously be, every time I see every time I see Roger Waters in the news now. Like if I see him in something, it's always about him something, you know, him shouting at something or complaining about something or, oh my gosh, he did something extremely controversial at a, at a live concert or something like that. So I can, right. I could just see that being hard to He's work with, difficult to work with. personality, I yeah. think. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. he had a lot of great ideas though, and he's an exceptional musician. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's always... Uh, you know, disheartening to hear when that kind of stuff happens. I, I also think of, not that they had internal, I don't think there was a lot of tension be between them nearly as much, but... Think of the uh, police? I think of hit. Well, I think of Hemispheres, actually, with Rush. Oh. And it's, again, not so much the tension between them, per se, but when you're crafting these pieces that I personally love, that I have a, a deep attachment with, um, a very strong attachment, too, it's upsetting to think that something like Hemispheres, like La Villa and the Epic and everything, they were just burnt out. Slaving. They were just so yep. done. They were like, look, we're not doing this again. You know, and it just is, again, disheartening to hear that it's like, I'm so sorry that this really took almost everything out of you, but yep. it's an excellent piece and I'm glad but, you made yeah. it. I think <laughs> it's sometimes the same thing when with you... Close to the Edge. Well, yeah, and I, I think sometimes when you're squeezed, that's when that last bit comes out that's just, you know, 
um, yeah. so good. Um, and I, it even not within the world of Prog, this is a thing. Um, Oh yeah, rumors. Right. Yep. Rumors is a perfect, perfect um, oh, yeah. example of a group that was completely frayed. Fleetwood Mac. Um, everybody, you know, we're all sleeping with each other, and you know, all that jazz. You know, all these broken, you know, relationships of the two couples that were now seeing each other's different mates, and you know, but oh, it, yeah, I mean, it was a. I I don't know if they thought that the band was gonna make it or not uh, at that point. But the interesting thing is the one of the greatest um, Fleetwood Mac songs. I mean, to me, Rumors is a flawless record. I love Rumors. Um, and even if you don't think it's flawless, there are so many great big hits that came off of that record that are phenomenal. But they're, the, one of their biggest hits ever, The Chain, interestingly enough, they all that's the one piece on the album that they did write together. And so I think it, cool. it is interesting to see. And, and then you think about the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, the White Album was very... Um, a lot of people reference it as a four-way solo album because every piece, you know, even though they all played on it together, they came in and did different parts at different times. And it was yeah. very clear that yeah. beforehand it was like, you know, Paul and John wrote this together or here's a George tune, but you know, and, and then you get to the White Album and it's like, this is a very clear Paul song. This is very clear Lennon. This is, you know, everything was very obvious that they had not collaborated together to put this thing together. But then you have, yeah. and, and of course, you know, during that time, Ringo was like, I'm out, you know, for a little bit. Um, right. But then, you know, two years later, you come back and they're like, you know what, we're going to band together and try Let's to write Abbey something Road. together, and they have Abbey Road. I mean, yeah, you right. know, so you have um, moments where they bands go through this awful, awful tension, and they're struggling, they're trying to produce stuff, and it brings about some of the most wonderful stuff when they do either come back together or even sometimes separately. There's some amazing stuff, obviously, on White Album, even though it yeah. may just have been that song was Paul you know right um, right right so anyway it's yeah interesting to yeah. think about band dynamics and how that produces certain art at certain times yeah mm -hmm. and uh so like uh like like shine on you crazy diamond did on wish you were here mm -hmm. you know we have pigs on the wing which sandwiches the rest of the album by opening and closing it in two parts right and so um what i found here is that the the song tempers the rage on the rest of the album, as it is a love song for Waters' new wife, Carolyn Christie, and guitarist David Gilmore said it felt it was a good fit as he explained, quote, there are moments when real ear-splitting, abrasive sound is right, and moments when it just isn't. You just try to make each piece of music fulfill its potential. What are you guys' thoughts on Pigs on the Wing? Like, what's, uh, like it, enjoy it, feel it's unnecessary? What do you guys think? Um, it's not one that I flock to when I think of the record, um, right. for sure, because it is, well, and part of that is just the, the length also. It's very short. Yeah. It's uh, like a minute and a half or something. It is very simple. It's him and a guitar and that's it. That is it. It's vocals and guitar kind of singer songwriter ish in a way. There's not a full band or anything like that. Uh, but you know, when you look at it in context, of everything else, it is kind of nice to have a little bit of reprieve from, the darkness of the record that happens all throughout the rest of the, the, the songs. So yeah. I, I do kind of like that. It's, it's a bit of a breather and it's really interesting that it sandwiches the record, that it is the beginning and mm -hmm. the very end. And there are some nice moments in there lyrically too. Granted, they're kind of mixed. It's not all happy either with the lyrics, but it, I don't know. There's a little bit more of, I don't know, hopefulness in it 
and maybe that's the music is kind of influencing my interpretation of the lyrics. I was but... I was gonna say on top of that because I was gonna ask you this. I was gonna ask both of you guys this question: Is that you know you you were talking about earlier? Um, you were talking about the lyrics for the the very end of Sheep, and and they're quite dark, right? They're mm-hmm. just they're quite mm-hmm. quite dark. But I mean, the ending of Sheep is my favorite moment of the entire record that instrumental section to me feels powerful um it's it sounds almost life-giving like it's it's it has just a very very uh i wouldn't say i wouldn't say happy but to me i i I love it like i find it to be positive i guess that's just the simplest form i can put that in is i find the end of the musically to be very positive um i just wanted to know what you guys thoughts on that was where with with the ending musically and in relation to the record with the with the lyrics how it how the album ends if we're just going to say that you know sheep is kind of the 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 ending of the meat essentially um do you guys have the same response to that as i do or is it a little bit different with sheep yeah with the very end, the ending instrumental of sheep and how kind of feeling a positive sort of feel to it What do you have to say? Um, <laughs> I was waiting for you since I answered first oh, last time. Oh, I, I've, I'm still thinking about it. I've never thought about the ending necessarily being positive. I, I mean, right. that may just I be see, my interpretation. I don't know, but well, I wanted no, to know if you I guys agreed. I see what you're saying. Like it does. Like it doesn't yeah, strike absolutely. me as oh, I would never think that. Like I would no. Yeah, the music can, certainly lifts see. up. You know, in a it's more lifting. It's more ambient. It feels like yeah. it goes on and on. Yeah. And that kind of repetition and the sound of birds in the background too, because you kind of hear these birds while you're yep. hearing that mm-hmm. intense guitar. You know, that sounds like hopeful flight, freedom, all of this, and the mm-hmm. fact that it's kind of fading away. I feel like you're going on to something upwards uh or next that that sense of continuation that this is not the end this is not the bleakness or whatever there's something next to come that kind of gives that sense of hopefulness that there's yeah. another chapter that the story continues that your story can continue yeah um i, I see what i see what you're saying with all of that um yeah. and it drifts into you know pigs and wing part two which has more positive lyrics you know that i care what happens to you and i know that you care for me too so I don't feel alone or the weight of my stone now that I've found somewhere safe to bury my bones. You know, like these are, yeah, more positive lyrics. Positive, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I wanted, yeah, to, to kind of go back to Pigs on the Wing versus even Sheep um, because, you know, your, your question about how do you think this fits on the record and, and all of that, um, it is – you know, we're, we're referring to this almost like one song, but it is two parts, you know, divided, right. you know, that's obviously, as we mentioned, sandwiching it, but they have two different sets of lyrics, even though it's the exact same melody and it's very similar, but you know, the first one starting, starting out with, if I, if you didn't care what happened to me, you know, um, right. that, and then you go through all of this. So it, it kind of sets up the album, even though it's a, light and it's supposed to be like a love song i feel like it starts off in this kind of ominous we don't really know where this relationship is kind of place right and then we go and then we go through all of these um things in society that can be very harmful to a relationship uh you know and then you finally do yes reach some note of hope at the end of you know 
that I care what happens to you versus if I didn't care, you know? So it's resulting in regardless of all of these things in society, these different positions, these dogs, pigs, sheep, there is someone, you know, that uh, any fool knows that a dog needs a home, a shelter from pigs on the wing. Yeah. Right. I I think that, that, so I was just going to say, I think that was a central thing. Waters wanted to convey and why he was criticizing people at the top and why he's criticizing all these classes and everything is, he's, you know, you can become so detached from a human connection. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, that's what he's really criticizing. I think the, the pigs and the dogs and, you know, to some extent, the sheep even about, and he said, yeah. you know, it's important. He's like, this is why I don't like them is that they value all of these other things that get in the way between a real genuine human connection and caring about someone. And so that's why he puts pigs on the wing in there. And I agree with you, Rachel. I think that at the beginning, it's kind of this ominous, where is this? This is the human side of this. This is the one-on-one personal connection. We don't know where it's going. And you go through all this misery. And at the end, it's like, well, this is why we need human connection, right? Because all yep. this misery yep. in between. So at the end of the day, what matters is that connection with you and me. Relationship. And yeah, that that personal relationship. Right. Yeah. Because I think and, oh, go ahead, Drew. Yeah. No, that was basically it. That was basically well, it. I was just gonna say that because I think uh, you know, I'm looking I was looking at those last lyrics and now I'm looking at the first lyrics, uh, or the, the lyrics for part one, you know, if you didn't care what happened to me, if I didn't care for you, we would zigzag our way through the boredom and pain, agate occasionally glancing up through the rain wondering which of the buggers to blame and watching for pigs on the wing. So if, you know, when people describe this song as a love song, um, you've got to get to part two to realize that it is because part one, yes, right. all of these things that he's talking about have nothing to do all with all of them. Yeah. Love. Um, you know, we're zigzagging our way through boredom and pain. We're occasionally glancing up. It's like we're glancing up what? through the rain. We're wondering which of the buggers to blame. So we're thinking about things that don't have to do with our relationship. We're, occasionally looking up and we're, you know, who can I blame for where we are or what society? And then you take this journey through society and then you get to, you know, what really matters is this relationship that I have with you. And that's still there at the end of the day. Yeah. And even, even with the relationship between animal farm and this, and going back to how you said that the book ended, it started with the pigs revolting against, you know, the farmers then at the very end of the book, it comes back to them almost doing business. And it's this, you know, doing business with the humans. It's this cycle of like nothing changed. And mm-hmm. what I find interesting is that I've, I've always thought of it as being sort of, I mean, it does say two part, you know, it has part one and part two, but on the record, it's the exact same thing. We, we started the way we ended. Right. Musically, right. you see the lyrically it's, it's a bit different because of the, um, yeah, with the two different parts, but I found that I just now realized that I was thinking about how that relates to the book. Mm-hmm. So, right, interesting. So, I got a fun, fun fact, fact for you. Go ahead. Oh, you fun fact. I first. have a fun fact. Go ahead. I got another one for you. I want to well. hear both of your facts. <laughs> both oh, of the man. fun facts. Yeah, they might. They be better the same. be fun. <laughs> um, no, uh, this this tour is what. It, inspired the wall Mm -hmm. so uh i think both of you Mm. already know this but he was they had gotten to a point where they were playing a lot of arenas they were playing stadiums like huge huge audiences oh yeah and you know it's that's that's different than what you're used to when when you're when you're first coming up right so before dark side and wish you were here they were playing a little bit more personal audiences and yeah 
in terms of size. They weren't as big. They felt a connection with the audience. And when you get to this stage where you're playing like 90,000 plus people, holy, oh, what? Like, this is just insane. Like, sea, a literal sea of people. And they just kind of felt disconnected, I think. And particularly Waters did. And he, he didn't really care for that. Um, and he really didn't like the idea of his music doing that because it contributed to what he called the gross, right? The <laughs> This... this excess this excess and that's something he's criticizing on the record too with the pigs and the corruption and and the corporate pig and everything and the first verse and pigs three different ones and he just didn't like that he didn't like that this wasn't a real connection with people he wanted his music to mean something and he said it felt more and more like people were just showing up to a show to 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 have to for that status of i'm at a pink floyd show isn't that cool it's like you don't care about the music you don't care about my music you just think it's a fad you think it's cool and it's i kind of resent that to be a pink floyd it's fan. trendy yeah. to be a pink floyd fan and yeah. you know you're not wow. listening to the music you're just shouting and hanging out with your friends and everything and this is never what i intended my music to be for anyone and i really don't appreciate that and i think there were a couple of kids and particularly one who had to have been like a teenager he said and, and you can hear him talk about this um but uh he one of them was going crazy like yeah yeah freaking out a little too much and he was right next to him he was close to him and making <laughs> absolute ruckus you know chaos near him on the chain link fence probably like you know bashing it and beating it just really hysterical you know may or may not have been on drugs but just way too excited and he wasn't getting the attention he wanted from this kid and he got so angry and fed up that he spat on this kid he spit on him and uh, wow. he thought to himself, he was like, I shouldn't have done that. What is going on? What is this disconnection between me and my audience? And he said, what have I been reduced to? What has the audience been reduced to? Both of us. Mm -hmm. What is this relationship that we started out together as audience and, and band and that connection with music in, in between? Where is that now? Where did that go? There's a disconnect. And that's where he was like, oh, I got to you know, form the idea of the wall. The wall. Right. Yep. A barrier. And, you know. Anyways, I just thought that was really interesting that that happened on this tour and that was the impetus for the mm -hmm. next massive album for them, which was The Wall. Even though Roger Waters is very conceptual and you know he can come up with a lot of metaphorical ideas, it still comes down to the need of relationship. It still yes. comes down to that. I, it's the want and the need. I mean, we need it. We need relationship. So. Right. He just takes it in a very interesting way and uses metaphors right. and you know Animal Farm and stuff like that, which is which is interesting. It's it's awesome actually. That's well, what makes Pink Floyd so cool. With the interesting content. thing is the way it's all. This has happened before for them. Um, yeah, you know, Money is a perfect example on oh, the dark yeah. side right. of a song that was written to criticize the um, power of money, and it became the biggest hit off of that especially as like a single um off of dark side that made them so much money you know um right. so the yep. irony of that song also was yep. like counter to what they were counterproductive to what they were trying to do but at the same time they were they were a band and they're trying to make a living as a band so they do want to be i mean you know, they want fans they want to make money off of their records. They want to have, you know, um, people who want to listen to what they have to say in a very real way, but also they want that to be profitable. So it, it's like, how do you span that? Um, how do you walk that tightrope of, you know, 
wanting to produce for the sake of livelihood and just, yep. you know, and, and yes, being acknowledged by fans for what you do. And then at the same time being completely authentic um, and not doing it for the fame. Uh, it's really yeah, interesting it's, how that's been in their line to walk. Yeah. But it's been in their history for quite a while that you've seen them walking that, that tightrope between what they want and what the public wants. Yeah. That's great. All right, you guys ready for my fun fact? I got two of them, I'm actually. Ready. I got two things for you. Okay, so the first one, uh, then never mind. This is, I'm going to start with this. This isn't a fun fact. This is just the, uh, I thought this was interesting. I find, I, I, I always hear references in music from the pioneers sometimes and, you know, just be like, oh, that sounds so Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah, that sounds so Rush. It's stuff like that. I thought this would be interesting for any of the uh, Porcupine Tree fans out there. Uh, I did a uh, a mashup of the ending of Sheep and a section of Time Flies that you guys might enjoy. Check this out. Obviously, the ending of that song. There's a. Uh, uh, it, it it sounds very reminiscent of uh, of sheep and very much. Steve, so. Stephen Wilson, I mean, has always said that uh, his uh, what was that? I think he said like the two albums, uh, like the first two albums he ever got was that his dad had a record of Dark Side Dark Side of the Moon, and his mom had a record of uh, Love to Love You Baby by Donna Summer Donna Summers I think, um, and so those were kind of his. That's what sort of shaped his musical career in in a way, which the pop and the prog and, and stuff like that. Secondly, uh, nice little album cover fun fact um of course on on the front of the album cover there's a uh picture of a 30 foot inflatable pig that's tethered over the battersea power station in london and the shoot took three days to complete on the first day they hired a marksman to shoot the pig if it broke free Mm -hmm. and they didn't recall seeing him on day two when the pig broke free Mm-hmm. And sailed through Heathrow airspace and eventually landed in a Kent field whose farmer was furious that it had mm-hmm. scared his cows. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, fun fact. Which is uh, ironic. An animal farm, right? Cows, the pig farm uh, in, look in at that. a cow field. That's crazy. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> I did know about that, but uh, I thought that that was, that was really interesting. It's funny. It just escaped. Just and, bu- uh, it's gone. It's just gone. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. So, okay, moving. I wanted. I want to shift over to a a different topic. This is more so. Uh, unless anybody has any final thoughts on on the record itself, I was going to move on to a a different topic that's outside of animals. If you guys are okay with that. Well, we haven't really gotten into what we like about it, but I mean, we've kind of tackled some of the things we appreciate about it conceptually. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we want to stay on that or keep going. I mean, this could this could go on for a while so maybe it is best that we cut it short and move on to a different topic but okay. this is but it's uh it's a fantastic record and and lyrically and musically i think this is one of their best and i think i've also read on a couple of sites that uh a lot of people consider this record to be pink floyd's one of its hardest rocking records more intense yeah. more aggressive than a lot of things which is true i mean mm-hmm. you listen to dark side and then you listen to wish you were here i totally agree not that there's not darkness on both of those or 
you know, kind of a gloomy tone for some of those sections on Dark Side and Wish You Were Here. But this one just feels like, yeah, it's got a little bit more grit to it. I, I, yeah, I appreciate yeah, I would that. agree with that. Yeah. It does. And I think you obviously have moments of that, uh, that grit as well on the wall. Uh, depend- there, are, there are huge sections in the wall that seem very like um, gloomy and not as rocking. Spooky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. More, more spooky, especially, yeah. you know, when, when pink is like in his own mind a lot, you know, behind the wall, right. but then you get in, you know, but building up to that, there are lots of, I mean, you know, another brick in the wall part two, one of my turns, you know, a lot of other um, young lust, you know, lots of other rocker tunes on the wall. And so maybe this, since this was also the catalyst of the wall, a lot of waters ideas were becoming more aggressive at this yeah, point of time. Tone shift. Um, yeah. And you can clearly see the tone shift between like, wish you were here. And oh, yeah. um, even though wish you were here, if you think about it has a little bit of, um, foreshadowing to animals as well with songs like welcome to the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, I read right. a lot about how musically, not conceptually, but musically, there's a lot of um, similarities in the kind of bluesy groovy feel between pigs, three different ones and have a cigar, which I hadn't even thought about until I, I read that. And then I was like, Oh, duh, of course, you know, I can totally mm. see the similarities there. So um it's just interesting to watch their progression, but yeah. I'll have this... to go back and listen to that. Yeah. To see if I can hear that. Well, I, I I love the weird vocal effects on Pigs, three different ones. That one's my favorite track on the, the entire the, album. The boxiness of, you like the feel of steel. Yeah, I love it. It's so it's good. So good. And then the the sound effects of the pigs in the background is so creepy mm-hmm. and I love it. Yep, it's those great. weird noises of them like really feeling like they're squirming out of something or, or something like that. You know these these weird pitches. It's mm-hmm. not just a typical oink that you you feel like you would yeah, hear. They have right. some real like pig squeals in there, and it's it's bizarre, man. Oh, it's really cool, but oh but, oh, uh, you like dogs? Oh, you like yeah? Oh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> only pink floyd can do that without me being like okay guys seriously like yeah, this is going on a little too long <laughs> one thing that always strikes me about this record and especially with dogs and everything is how smoothly the sections flow together mm-hmm. oh it's fantastic. I, I never feel like something carries on too long and maybe some people will disagree everyone has their own taste but i never feel that it goes on too long they it, it just it just is very smooth from one section yeah. to another it doesn't feel jarring it feels natural and yet it, it's it's there are enough interesting elements in there, musical elements in there, for it to be more than just background music. Yeah, and and, and Pink Floyd just walked that 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 perfect balance where I, you know you could see almost for a second, oh, this is kind of just something to just kind of like put in the background, and it can be, it can Certain be if moments. that's your intention. Certain moments, can, yeah. Well, I say it can be if that's your intention to to kind of use it in that way, but. I it, it never comes off to me as if like too boring or way too repetitive. There's always something new that they pepper in there that really grabs you, and then they build it up back again to parts with vocals, like at the end of Dogs. It's just it's it's a fantastic yeah. composition. I find it interesting because I I like I like long pieces of music, but there are times where I'm like, especially a lot of like jam band music, I can't do because I'm like, you're just constantly repeating this, or it's going nowhere. Right. You know, yeah. it's just it's going on too long. I'll listen to the studio version. I don't need to because if I go to the live concert, it's going to go on for 20 more minutes. Um, yeah. you know, and yep. I just yeah, I don't have I can't 17 do 17 minute like I don't consider version. myself to be very ADHD, but sometimes I'm like, this is just not enough to hold my my attention. Um, but for so for some reason, I would have thought 
even though dogs is not definitely not even the longest song I've ever listened to, or, you know, um, dogs, you would think, especially in that, that middle section where it gets very soft and you're just hearing a lot of dog barking and yeah, very li- much more ambient. Um, yeah. it, you would think that that would get boring or old because it is, and some people might think it does go along a, a little too long. And I've thought, Hey, if I share this with some, some friends or whatever, they're going to be like, okay, that section went on too much. But for some reason it never strikes me that way. I'm like, no, this is, it's perfect. It, it's not too long. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move on to our, um, uh, another topic that's outside of animals that I, that I wanted to discuss. And it actually is really great that you're here with us, Rachel, because I wanted you to answer this question as well. Um, is, and this was something that was actually getting thrown around in our discord channel, uh, for a little bit, but it is how to share prog rock, how to, how to share progressive rock with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to go ahead and preface this with just a a kind of a a sort of an intro is that the average attention span is eight seconds currently right now. And I can't think of one prog rock song that took me eight seconds to truly appreciate it. No. So, you know, so we're, we're, we're taking, we got to spend some time here to figure out how can, how can we share this? How how can we, how can we share this music with people? So I, I wanted to ask you, Rachel, a, a, a time where you personally uh, showed someone something that was maybe considered prog rock or something that's outside of the general norm and that was successful and how, and how you did it. Yeah, I've, you know, you, you sent me this question last night just to kind of get yeah. me thinking about it. And the thing is, Dustin, I'll be honest, this is not a genre that I share with a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's... And I mean, like, share just even, like, in common. Like, they may know what I like, and they may have listened to some of it before, but this is not the the go-to for conversation with, with mm-hmm. other people. And, like, even trying to, to meet people and, and make new friends, and, and when I think about, like, even, like, a romantic relationship, hopefully down the line, I'm not going to be pulling out progressive rock as the first thing. Or if, if he doesn't like it, I'm not going to be surprised, and right. I'm not going to think that this is something that we will connect on. And, and that's – for a while that bothered me when I was younger, and now it doesn't so much. I'm content that this is my thing. Um, right. Although I would really like there to be someone who appreciates it. Um, but – so my answer to this is not necessarily fair um, because okay. for me, I shared, somebody shared dark side with me um, mm. and I was, in, I was like a sophomore in high school and he was an eighth grader. And I remember I'd heard the title, you know, dark side and pink Floyd um, didn't have hardly any you know, I knew it, you know, my dad, you know, plays electric guitar. So, um, but this was not something my dad had even shown me yet. And I guess he just didn't know if I'd be interested in it. And so, but I was like, yeah, I'd I'd like to hear this album because, um, this guy mentioned it to me and, um, it was merely out of curiosity. It was, it was merely out of curiosity because I liked classic rock. And Pink Floyd okay. is a big name in classic rock. I was yep. a big Beatles fan and like I still liked a lot of older music. So most of the time, especially for me, since I like older music, I'm going to 
um, delve into something that someone suggests that's older much more easily than something modern that someone suggests to me. I will go delve into older things on my own or be more drawn to go, yeah, I've always heard about that. I should check it out versus Mm. something that somebody says, hey, this is the newest blah, blah, blah record. You know, take a listen. Um, So, um, you know, I, he shared this album with me. I remember we were sitting on a bus, like on a, a band trip or something. And wow. we decided to sit down and That's headphones great. together, listen to this that he had. I think he had it on like a, a handheld like PlayStation system or something. It was nice. some like weirdo. Like PSP? Like, yeah, yeah, something like that. But it had oh, Pink Floyd on it. Because I, I didn't know that you could play music. I was like iPods and that was it, you know. But yeah, he had it on a PSP. I guarantee you it was like a gaming system that he had the album on. Oh, and my god. It was goodness. so bizarre. That's and so amazing. we sat down and like everybody else, you know, sitting around talking on the bus and stuff. And we're like, no, we're going to be listening to this album. So don't talk to me right now. And so we sat down and listened to it. And I remember my first reaction to it was just curiosity. There were moments that I was like, wow, I really liked that. But more than yeah. anything, it intrigued me. It was not like you said, an instant love, you yep. know, it was, yep. wow, that was interesting. And it kept I kept churning on it. And then I came home and started talking to my dad about it. He's like, oh yeah, Dark Side of the Moon, you know? And he like burned a copy of it for me on a CD, you know? And I would listen to it in the car and I started, you know, just really chewing on it. So that for me spiked my love of prog rock, which um, I then handed down to my brother. So for me, I'm like, my answer is not fair because the person that I sparked an interest in is the other host on the show. No, <laughs> um, I, I you know, think brilliant though, because that was, that was one of the points that I was thinking of when I was, when I was thinking about this topic of like, okay, what, what, how have I seen it happen? It, it, and personally for us, because I have a lot of, I would say I have a lot of experience with this because, you know, Drew and I's band, we consider ourselves progressive rock. And so when we go around telling people about Arcane Atlas and we tell the people like, Hey, listen to our album, people ask us because we get the question all the time. What type of music do you play? You know, it's like, how do you answer that question? What type of the music do you listen to is essentially what they're asking me at that point, because it's the same thing. What type of music do you play versus what type of music do you listen to? It's the same thing. And so we've had a lot, I've had a lot of different conversations with people about that. But one of the points that you just brought up there is, and something that I wrote down was to go broad, but not too broad. So think genres, eras, and decades. And see, you already knew that, you were a fan of the Beatles and you, you maybe heard of Pink Floyd or maybe you've heard of Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or the who or Kansas possibly. I, I'm not sure, but if we go back mm-hmm. to say, you know, maybe late sixties or seventies rock, that's a way to open the door yeah. to some of those fans who like yourself, who was, you already knew that yourself was a, you, you were a Beatles fan and the Beatles are very, very popular. So it was kind of the gateway to be able to be like, Hey, you like this, let me redirect you in this area. And, and check this out. Yeah, something totally different, but from the same era that you might be interested in. And that, exactly. that it, it, it appeals to what somebody already has an interest in. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I remember Drew approaching me and wanting to, as I started to get more into this kind of stuff, wanting to know more about it himself. And yes, us laying right. down together, like in the floor, you know, and putting on a vinyl of Dark Side that I had, you know, purchased at a, um, at a vinyl, you know, shop and, um, listening to it, turning out the lights, you know, closed, closing your eyes, laying there in the floor end to end. And that I think was my first experience of sharing my love that was given to me by someone else 
um, with someone else. But again, there, I do think for me, especially with Prague, it's one of those things where the other person has already kind of a curiosity for it. And that mm. is hard to, like you were saying, like suggesting it to people who also like music from that era. There yes. has to be some commonality, some kind of way to get your foot in the door, yeah. if you will, um, to start to experiment with whether this person might actually be interested. And there has to be a willingness on that other person's end too, and a curiosity, exactly. because prog rock is not the most accessible. So I think people have to be, have kind of a curiosity on their own for it and kind yep. of seek it out in some ways. And then you're there with the tools to give them to discover it. Exactly. And I, I, I think I that's what it was, but it's is saying tools and Drew, you can jump on in here with this. What, what do we got? I, I have to say, I think part of that, and we've mentioned this a little bit in the past on this show, but I think part of people's hesitation, if they've heard of prog rock, but they know a lot of people or, or they know someone who, really enjoys the genre uh, a big turnoff for them is we can be kind of pretentious the pretentiousness sometimes. i knew it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah no it, there's it's, a pretentiousness it's, it's around there. and and that's you know i know dustin you and i really try to be as as uh i don't know relating humble as, as humble as we can yeah thank you we try to be as humble as we can um there does require a certain amount of i don't know longer attention span and stuff that's kind of not in the mainstream well, and a desire to think it through but yeah yes. it requires a little bit more and and you know for some people that's just not what music is for them it just yeah. isn't and that's cool that's 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 how they 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 view music in a, in a in a different way but uh yeah yeah i think part of the turnoff is when like you know a, someone who likes prog wants to get other people into it is you never want to be that guy who's like what are you listening to oh you've never heard of it oh please don't me, do you've that never heard of it. oh my please gosh, don't man. do that yeah. Never do that. Yeah. Don't do never that. do that. There's not a, there's then not you're... a right way to do this. I mean, we're we're giving maybe some tools, but there are definitely billions of wrong ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's one of them. Is uh, well, because oh, I because I, I hate it yeah. when people say that to me. Like I'll ask about something modern, you know, and it's like obviously I'm asking because I don't know what it is, you yeah, know. Right. But but then you know when I get the response of oh yeah, you don't know what this is, you know, or yeah, oh ha- oh Rachel, you never listen to anything modern. It's like yeah, but. I asked you. I'm I know curious. I don't know. I, don't don't tell yep. me I don't know what it is because I asked you. So clearly I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it it comes off as very judgy and yeah. It, yeah There's a it, connotation. It yeah. You're distancing yourself from the opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to and share from the per- something and from new the person them. as well. Like here's another thing that we can't relate on, and that's upsetting. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions that I wrote down, and and this is more of just a processing. And I think Drew, you were you were gone for a second, but I was I was talking about how the atten- the average attention span is eight seconds. And I was saying that I can't think of one prog rock song that took me eight seconds to truly appreciate it. Right? Oh yeah, no. And so I was I usually am taking the approach. I mean, there's several different approaches to take this with how to get your foot in the door if you want to share this with somebody that you, you know, think that might may like it. But the first thing that I was asking myself was asking someone what do you get out of listening to music? Because people listen to it for different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And some people, you have to meet them where they're at emotionally because people like my wife will listen to music based off the mood that they're in. And they and it's just, it's kind of like, they have, it's playlists. It's not like I'm album, I'm album driven, right? I'll, I'll throw an album on, but she will play a playlist, a playlist of music that fits a particular mood that she's in. And so then you're kind of breaking it down. But then there's also the other side of it. Um, 
which is processing, you know, which is processing through their heart first before it gets to their brain. Myself, I'm I'm the other way. I process things conceptually first before I start feeling. Like it'll take me three listens or so to be like, whoa, okay, now like this is this is really drag this is pulling heartstrings here. And so I think that's a, a great question to ask people is what do you get out of listening to music to find out where they are and what music does for them? I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of weird to ask someone that in a way where <laughs> I don't know where that I think question if, in if and the of relationship entails, be, it can work. Yeah. If you've got a relationship with someone like that, where you can ask it, sure. Um, but that question alone is kind of intimidating in a way. And for some people who just aren't walking into a conversation expecting, you know, a question that. Yeah, this, like this, this wouldn't it, be with like a, like a, this isn't an elevator pitch right here. Like that, that wouldn't yeah. be my elevator pitch for progressive no, rock. But it's an interesting thing to think about is like what you get out of music, how you perceive it. And that, that does bear influence on how you're going to share music with someone yeah. else. So yeah. Yeah. Anyways, another thing that I, I, I wrote down um, was to avoid hollow labels like, uh, for instance, indie, or honestly, I believe to the general public, progressive to a certain degree. Like when, when you say that doesn't mean anything to anyone if unless they know what it is. And if they know what it is, they probably have an opinion on it already. And so well, and, and the word itself is very broad i mean being it is, progressive uh, yeah. just means progressing moving Pro forward so yeah. what does you, that mean you could you could argue that that every um every genre is progressive in some way it's doing <laughs> yeah. something different from something yeah. else so in some ways i've always been frustrated with the term prog rock um as if there wouldn't be prog country even because it, it country does not sound the same now as it did. Everything's always constantly moving forward. Um, yeah. so, uh, hopefully even, you know, so, yeah. um, it's, it's a bit frustrating to me the way that this, the term has come about as if this is also the only that it, it also has a lot of pretentiousness in that title as if we're the only genre oh my that gosh, pushes yeah. the on that pushes the envelope. It's true. It really you know? is. It, it rather than using the labels, just denote the content of the music itself. Now that that's a totally different conversation, which we probably have discussed a couple of times in the past on the show. But I would just, yeah, I would say avoid avoid the labels and just talk about the content of the music. Right. What Do it you means like it? to Do you. Not? Yeah, and all of that, the personal relationship with it, whatever it is, and so, and even for like those, uh, um like those top 40 people, you know, I'm, I'm thinking having like a wild card almost in the deck where, because let me put it, I think most people's music taste develops in their teenage years. And, uh, unless they're actively searching for what's new stays that way. And so yeah, the wild cards, the wild cards could be those quote unquote, maybe uh, quote underground top 40 possible hits, which is like, uh, like Trains by Porcupine Tree, uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart, yes, uh, Tom Sawyer by Rush, Permanating, Stephen Wilson, uh, Money, Pink Floyd, like I Wouldn't Want to Be Like You, Alan Parsons Project, et cetera, et cetera. It's like opening the door to the artists to possibly share with them artists that you love with song form that they are familiar with and enjoy. 
Actually, I like that thought. I just came up with that right here. Fantastic. There you go. Uh, open the door to the artist, possibly to share with them the artist that you love with the song form that they are familiar. Yeah, they are familiar with and enjoy. How about yeah, that? Yeah, you, you always want to start with something that um, probably is very familiar. I mean, you know, or, or a song that most people are like, you know, I don't really care about Pink Floyd, but man, I really do like um, Another Brick in the Wall. You know, um, yep. uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The things that did break into the mainstream is usually the way that you can, um, you know casually and and every now and then just go oh hey oh you like that well how about this tune you don't i think unless there are people that you know that do listen to an, an entire album i do think most people like your wife destin are and even, and even for myself at times um i don't just sit down and listen to an album end to end all the time um, yeah i'm right? like you know i, I want to hear random stuff from different artists all mixed in um yeah. and you kind of have to train yourself to listen to albums. I mean, and in fact, when, when I've been out of it for a while, sometimes I'm like, whoa, clearly I haven't listened to it a full album in a while because I'll sit down to do it. And I'm like, oh man, I got to get my attention span back, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> on this. Um, so you get yourself, you know, out of the, the habit of doing that. But so I, I think, you know, it's a lot easier if you start suggesting a couple other bigger songs like, oh, try Young Lust. Hey, have you heard this other mm -hmm. song on that, on the same album maybe? Yep. But don't just hand them the wall and say, you're listening to all of it. Yeah, you're like check one, this out. You've listened no. to, you've heard Hey You on the radio. Well, you're just going to love the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Like, come yeah, go listen numb. to All right, too. here you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it just, it, that doesn't work. And, and uh, you know what, actually, and Drew, this is funny because I'm actually going to take what you did to me at at one point we, we started we started doing this at some point but like it, one thing that one thing that i did or that you did with me actually and we did and we started doing this with our band personally is that you know you and i would be driving in the car right you'd be driving or whatever and i'm in the car and you want to show me something or so show me a song that you really really enjoyed you would never play it in the car with you in the car you would always give it to me or text it to me and say, you know, hey, when go check this out when you have a chance. Because you're always, not always, but sometimes when you're with somebody and you're showing something to someone that you're friends with, there's a pressure that they have to enjoy it, right? It, because you don't want to sit there and just be like, I don't like this. This is you're awful, yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> sucks. And I'm like that, no, like take the pressure off and just have them so they can, you know, have an honest response to it. You actually did that to me. I don't even know if you remember this, but you were just kind of like, yeah, you just, <laughs> I was like, play it. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll just send it to you and you can listen on your own time. And I was like, okay, whatever. You're weird, but that's fine. And I don't remember that. No, it was I way back in high remember. school. It was back in high school. Oof. I started, I started doing that with people with the band, you know, because with our band, with showing people our stuff, I would never play our stuff in the car with people that I wanted to show our stuff with because they were, I knew, I knew that they were just going to be like, dude, this is cool. They would listen to 10 seconds and immediately start complimenting me because they want to be nice and they want to be, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I don't, I'd, I'd rather you honestly tell me that it sucked rather than give me a fake answer and tell me that, oh, this is amazing after listening to 10 seconds, which was just the synth intro. Like we haven't even gotten to any of the lyrics of the song. I haven't even started playing the drums yet in the song. And people are just like, oh, dude, this is great. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? So I don't know. That's something, at least for me personally, that has worked when sharing music to people. Now, obviously, you're you're leaving it to their own time, and they have to go check it out themselves. You know, you, you're <laughs> you're not you're not going to be with them. But if they're curious about it, they'll check it out. That's a way for them to be able to uh, 
to listen to some of the music. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. But yeah, I think I'm, I too prefer when um, a friend will send me something and be like, Hey, check this out, you know, and then I can do it on my own time when I can pay attention to it. I, I you know, there is, I totally understand that, that small bit of pressure because if someone's showing you something when you're riding in the car with them or when you're with them physically, they clearly like it. That's why they're sharing it with you. And they want, Mm -hmm. and they want you to like it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know. I mean, I want people to like what I share with them and I, you want somebody to like what you're sharing with them when you send them a text with a, with a link too or something, right. but there's a little less pressure than in the moment of having to respond back. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and of course, yeah, because they dude, also, that's the thing. They also get the inflection in your voice versus they can tell when there's an immediate reaction to, man, this is great. Awesome. Versus, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, this is good. Like <laughs> they can tell that uptone yep. at the end. Like it's like, you're really not telling me that not even that you hate it, but just you don't prefer it, but you're trying not to even say that, you know, you're just like, yeah, that's great. Log that away. I mean, I hope they never, I hope he never brings that one up again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I like it when people send me stuff that I can check out on my own, uh, especially if we're close, close enough friends, I'm actually going to check it out, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if Rachel sends me a text and says, Hey, you need to listen to this album. You, you better believe I'm going to listen to that album. Right. But you better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to. Well, any any last thoughts on this before we wrap up? Yes. All right. Shoot. Well, we would like to thank everybody for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. Conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. You can follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes and our Facebook page at prog notes podcast. You can also join our prog notes community. You can find the link to join in this episode's description or on our social media platforms. Drew, what what is the next episode album? You caught me in the middle of a yawn. I'm I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, The next episode, episode 28, will be The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis. Oh, man, it's going to be a monster. But it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be great. We're we're not going to do a two-part episode. We're going to try and squeeze it into one. So (laughs) join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. See you guys on Discord. Thanks.